Okay, so Ryan Tovim, good afternoon. It's wonderful to be here with everybody on this final shiur of this five-day Tanakh extravaganza. Um, I hope that everyone's enjoyed. I'm sure I don't deserve that, but that, that's for Yimei uh, Universag. Um, this morning, I saw that on the on the English classes today, there was one wonderful class on Shirat Hazinu by Rabbi Tversky, and another wonderful class on Shirat Hayam by Rabbi Et Shalom, who I believe is in here. And I actually attended both of these classes. I was not aware of that. I assume some of you attended those classes, and I very much hope that whoever did attend those classes will find this class to be complementary uh, to the previous two classes. Actually, I think that uh, having attended both of those classes, that you know there is uh, a tremendous amount to say about these different songs, and that there's something nice uh, for those people who did attend all these classes to maybe see all three of these songs or all all three of these classes as belonging to the same continuum. Uh, what we're going to be doing in today's class is looking at the two she wrote. Really, these are the two songs of the Torah, Shirat Hayam and Shirat Hazinu. These songs could not be more different, right? They're two very, very different songs, um, and yet they're the two national songs of Am Yisrael in the Torah. Um, they are so different, and I think that the first indication of their differences are already noted in the Gemara in Megillah, and that is in terms of the way in which they are technically recorded upon the cloth, right, upon the Torah scroll, so that we know that Shirat Hayam, right, the song of the sea, and all songs that are considered to be songs of Hallel, songs of praise, are written, uh, the Gemara describes it as Ariach al-Gabay Levena, which is basically a pyramid structure, right? Two sides and one in the middle, two sides. It's a very stable structure. While Shirat Hazinu and all songs that are considered to be songs that contain as their ultimate goal, Mapalatan Shel Rishaim, the downfall of the evil ones, are written Ariach al Gabay Ariach, right? Which is basically in two columns, right? Um, now the Ridva here, we're not going to read all the sources inside, but I'll be referring to them. These, some of these sources, the Ridva here in source number two explains that the different way of writing these songs indicates the essential difference between them, so that a song of Hallel like Shirat Hayam is written in this stable pyramid-like structure, whereas Shirat Ha'azinu, which lacks any component or almost any component of Hallel, it is not a song of praise. It is about, as we said before, the downfall of the evil ones. This, of course, is uh, a quote from the sources. Therefore, it is constructed in two unstable columns which can easily be toppled, okay? Anybody who's ever uh, watched a child or recall themselves using building blocks knows that if you want to construct something that is stable, you'll construct it in a pyramid structure, and if you want it to fall, you're going to build these two very high columns. And really, I think that this is already an indication of how vastly different these two Shirot are. But I'll say a couple general things before we actually see the songs inside. Shirat Hayam, of course, this is a very familiar song, the Song of the Sea. It is sung in the Torah immediately after Kriyat Yamsuf, immediately after the splitting of the sea. It represents an ideal, right? And it, it, it portrays an ideal. It is a high point of biblical history. It is a lofty and lyrical song of praise in response to God's salvations. Uh, Shirat Azinu appears at the very end of the Torah, or towards the end of the Torah, in the 32nd chapter of Sefer Devarim. As the Torah begins to draw to its conclusion, at the end of a very difficult, difficult, when I say difficult, I mean not just physically, but theologically, a very difficult 40-year period in the desert. The song itself, which I assume that some people are familiar with, some people may be less familiar with it. We don't sing it on a regular basis as we do Shirat Hayam. We'll be talking about that in just a few minutes. This song is harsh and frightening. It illustrates God with God's withdrawal from the people, his punitive actions against the people, and even his desire 
to totally annihilate the people, to wipe them out, right? And yet, somehow, these songs, rather intriguingly, are linked. Okay, now they're linked just by the mere fact of them being the two well-developed national songs in the Torah that are featured in the Torah. In fact, both of these songs are considered by different biblical uh, uh, interpreters to be what, what they call the national anthem of Israel, right? So Beno Jacob uh, called Shirat Hayam, the Song of the Sea, the national anthem of Israel. And whoever was in Rabbi Twersky's class this morning saw the source that he brought from the Malbim, where the Malbim says that Shirat Hazinu is the Shir Le'umi, the, the, the national anthem of Israel, right? So we have these two national anthems, which means that both of them, to some degree, represent the essence of Israel, the essence of Israel's role in biblical history, its relationship with God. And not only are they, can they be associated by the fact that we have these two songs of the Torah, both of which are considered separately the national anthem of Israel by separate commentators, but also there is an intriguing halachic link between them. Okay, so look here at this Rambam. We're going to see this inside in source number three. The Rambam in Hilchot Tefillah in Perak Zion says something that is a little bit um, intriguing or, or perhaps a little odd. Yesh mikomot, he says, shenahagubahen likrot b'chol yom achar shemivarchim yishtabach shiratayam. It's a little different than what we do, right? But, you know, fundamentally it seems pretty similar. Every day, he says, there are kilo, there are communities, that every day after they finish what we call the Shirei David, right? After Yishtabach, they add this Shira, the Song of the Sea, Shira Tayam. The Acharkach Nevarchim al Shema, some sort of break between what we call Psuke de Zimra, which are David's uh, songs, and uh, the Birchot Kriyat Shema, in between, some kilo sing Shiratayam. Now, we obviously understand that at some point this idea became transposed a little bit and Shiratayam snuck into the Psuke de Zimra. But look at the next thing the Rambam says. Um, <clears throat> but there are some communities, Shekorin Shiratazinu. You ever hear of anybody who reads Shiratazinu instead of Shiratayam? Right? I would not recommend it. Right? <laughs> I, I much prefer Shiratayam. Look at what he says even at the end of this halacha. The yesh yichidim and some individuals, shekarim shteha shirot. Hakol minhag. You might want to juxtapose the two, which also, I mean, really seems extremely um, odd. Juxtaposing these two songs, as we'll see shortly, uh, really produces a striking dichotomy, right? These are not two songs that really seem to go together. But really, I mean, in general, this is a very odd halakha, right? You could sing this one, you could sing that one, and the two have very little in common, right? It seems to be uh, not, not a, you know, it seems to be a rather obvious choice. I know of no congregation that has chosen to sing Shirat Hayam on a daily basis. You can correct me if anybody knows of con- congregation. I mean, sorry, Shirat Azinu on a daily basis. I know of every congregation that, that chooses to sing Shirat Hayam on a daily basis. And um, I, there is one uh, 18th century halachic book, the Maaseh Rekach, which says that, and this is, you know, uh, an, a timely topic, says that on B'Av, we should substitute Shirat Azinu, or he knows of congregations that substitute Shirat Azinu instead of singing Shirat Hayam. And that actually makes a lot of sense, right? Tisha B'Av, well, there's a day that maybe we should say Shirat Hazinu and focus on some of the harsh and, 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 and problematic aspects of our relationship with God and some of the more frightening uh, uh, results of that, some more frightening consequences, rather than the lofty ideal that emerges from singing the Song of the Sea. But really, I mean, this this, this halacha is such an, an, an unusual one, it's such an intriguing one, and I'm going to return to this point at the end of the shir, right? So at the end of the shir, we're going to try to understand what is it that the Rambam is actually saying here when he offers us this choice between saying shirat hayam or shirat hazinu or perhaps juxtaposing the two uh, one to the other. But what I want to do for the moment is I want to examine each of these two separate and distinct and very, very different songs separately to see each of their distinctive characteristics And then I want to return to view these songs in light of each other and to see whether or not we can actually juxtapose them and read them 
as uh, a pair. Um, well, let's begin with Shirat Hayam. Well, it, it comes first. It's in Shemot, Perak, Tedvav. <clears throat> it's, of course, uh, as I said, a, a likely a very familiar song. Certainly, it is a more uplifting song. Shirat Hayam is sung at the beginning of Israel's nationhood, the beginning of Am Yisrael's experience as a nation. This is the first organized uh, collective communication with God, and it is an expression of thanksgiving, right? It is Ashira la Hashem ki I will sing to God for he is surely exalted. This, of course, is the basis, perhaps an important foundational step in creating the appropriate relationship with God, which is based on gratitude, which is based on thanksgiving, which is based on appreciation. And of course, uh, I think perhaps the other form of tefillah is uh, perhaps more uh, is more obvious or maybe more intuitive, and that is petition, right? It seems somewhat obvious that we sh- that we will pray to God intuitively when we need God, when Am Yisrael needs God. The less obvious prayer is after God has actually saved Am Yisrael, when Am Yisrael is successful, they have to properly recognize God's role in their success and in their salvation, and that's when they are meant to sing a shira. That is shirat hayam. Shirat hayam is about Am Yisrael expressing gratitude, expressing thanksgiving. This is the beginning of prayer. It's the beginning of national tefillah. In fact, it is so basic, it's so foundational for our experience as a nation of tefillah that not only does it find its way once in our daily tefillah, it finds its way at least twice in our morning tefillah, which I'll mention in a moment. And of course, we extrapolate a key concept with regard to our daily prayer from the fact that Am Yisrael sang the song of the sea, and that is, of course, that we juxtapose what we, we say, we juxtapose Geulah to Tefillah, right? Before we start our daily Shemona Esrei, right? We always begin by singing Shirat Hayam, by expressing our gratitude to God. Before we come to God with Tefillah, with petition, we start with gratitude, with appreciation, with thanks. And that's, of course, our second appearance of Shirat Hayam in the daily tefillah. Aside from the fact that we say every day the full Shirat Hayam, the full song of the sea during Psuke de Zimra, as we approach Shmona Esrei, what do we say? Mi chamocha be'elim Hashem, mi chamocha nadar that is the exact middle of Shirat Hayam. And then we say, Hashem Yimloch Leolam Va'ed. Okay, so that these two psukim, the middle and the end of Shirat Hayam, actually represents, represent both of them, the essence of the Shira, the middle verse, the last verse, instead of repeating the entire song twice, which could get somewhat tiresome, we allude to the song of the sea as we are moving towards our daily Shemona Esrei so that we remember that the basis of our relationship with God is thanksgiving, is appreciation, is gratitude. If we look a bit more closely at Shirat Hayam, we see, and I brought it for you here on the sheet, I didn't bring Shirat Hazinu, it's a bit too long, and we'll be looking at it for those of you, I assume everybody here has a Tanakh. We'll be looking at it inside the Tanakh. Uh, Shirat Hayam is, I think, somewhat easily divided into two sections, right? Uh, and, of course, the end of the first section, as I mentioned, is Mi Chamocha Be'elim Hashem, Mi Kamocha Nedar Bakodesh. That is verse 11, okay? But what's, what happens in the second section is very, very different than the first section, right? So that that pasuk ends the first idea of the Song of the Sea. What is the first idea of the Song of the Sea? Well, I think it's what people think that the whole Song of the Sea is about, which is that it's a praise, what I said until now, it's a praise of God for the events of the exodus from Egypt and particularly 
the uh, the story of the splitting of the sea and the subsequent drowning of the enemy of the Egyptians, which of course represents the ultimate salvation of Am Yisrael, the victory over Paro, God's extraordinary control over nature, control over the sea. So what we have here, look at these little bold pieces that I bolded for you of the Shirah, where you can see that this is in fact, of course, the subject of Shirah Tayam, Sus v'rochvo ramavayam, the horse and chariots were cast into the sea, Right? There seems to be no doubt what we're talking about here, right? The chariots of Paro, Paro is even named explicitly in this song, have been cast into the depths of the sea. This entire section, it's filled with water, it's filled with lots of ruach, with lots of wind, and this part of the song is very explicitly about the events that have recently taken place in the previous chapter. And we're singing, we're singing our thanks uh, to God for having brought about these events. Now, a couple interesting points about this first half of the Shira. Number one, if you look at the first half of the Shira, what you find are a lot of up and down movements. Okay? So that God is described moving up. Or, or, or is being in a superior position, right? God is exalted, God is lofty, God is ga'o, ga'a, right? Um, a menhu, I will raise him up, bigdoz racha, right? The, the greatness of God's arm. In contrast, what we find about Paro, and I think this is pretty much the conclusion of the, of the, the tension throughout the story, between the all-powerful human king, namely the pharaoh, and the all-powerful, I say all-powerful about human in quotes, and the actually all-powerful divine king, namely God, what we find in the Shira is that God rises up and Paro is cast into the depths. So the fate of Paro and his army are consistently described using a downward movement. Ramavayam. They are cast down into the sea. Tububiyam suf. They sink into the sea. Salalu ka'eben b'mayim adirim. Right? They sink down deeply into the sea. This contrast between God and Paro shows us the ultimate goal of Yitziat Mitzrayim, which of, of course is that God rises or the idea of the supremacy of the divine king rises and triumphs over the notion of this all-powerful human king. What about Am Yisrael's role in the first part of the Shira? Well, in the first part of the Song of the Sea, Am Yisrael are cast in the role of the bystander, the one who watches from the side in wonder, in amazement, as faithful witnesses to God's deeds. And of course, what is it that Am Yisrael say? This is my God, and I will praise him. This is the role of Am Yisrael. The awe-inspired description is in praise of God's splendor, his grandeur, his majesty, his unparalleled supremacy, mi chamocha be'elim Hashem, mi kamocha ne'edar Kodesh. who is like you, you are majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, doing wonders. This is the role of Am Yisrael. That's the first half of the Shira. And what's interesting, of course, I mean, that's all to be expected, right? That seems to be the very essence of Shira Tayam. But what's interesting is the shift that takes place in the second half of the Shira, right? If you look here, at the second side of the page, already in Pasuk Yudbet, we see something interesting. There's somewhat of a machloket about the meaning of Pasuk Yudbet. I'm not going to get into it right now. But if you look, the first thing we have in Pasuk Yudbet is right? We have moved out of the sea. We're on the land. Okay? For what purposes have we moved out of the sea? Well, we are looking forward 
in the second part of the Shira, we are no longer praising God for past events. We are actually praising God for future events, right? The Ibn Ezra notes this very explicitly. He actually cites this in the name of what he calls Kol Hamifarshim. He says, all of the commentators agree that this next part is about Davar Atid. It's about the future. It is about what has not yet happened. What is it that he's describing? Look in Pasuket Gimel. Nachita b'chastecha amzu ga'alta. You have led in your loyalty and your faithfulness this nation that you have redeemed. Nehalta ve'ozcha el nevei kodshecha. You have led them in your strength to the habitations of your holiness. What are we talking about? This itself is a machloket between the Ibn Ezra and the Rashbam. The Rashbam says, talking about entrance into the land, the Ibn Ezra says, well, it might be that, but it also might be Harsinai. It doesn't really matter, right? We're moving in the direction of the future. I mean, they're standing at the Yamsuf. And what are they talking about? They're talking about what God is about to do, what God has not yet done. We are praising God for taking us to the land. And as we move forward in the, the second half of this Mizmor, we go, El Nevei Kodshecha, El Har Nachalatcha, Mikdash Adonai Koninu Yadecha. Right? We go to the mountain of God's holiness. We go to the Mikdash that has been established by God's hands. So we're no longer in Egypt. Right? We have moved full speed ahead to conquest of the land. Of course, who are the bystanders Bystanders in this second half of the song? Not Am Yisrael, right? Shamu Amim Yirgazum, right? The nations here. Which nations? Plashet, Edom, Moab, Canaan. We're not looking at Egypt anymore. We're talking about conquest of the land. We have our eyes forward. Now, this is an extraordinary transition, right? One that I think that we have to note, we say this every day, how quickly and easily we transition from one stage to the next. First, we were watching the culmination of God's salvation in Egypt. We were watching the Egyptians drown. And in the very next moment, we are looking forward to entering the land. At the beginning of the song, our heads are turned backward. By the end of the song, our heads are turned in a, do, in a new direction, bound for the land of Israel. I think that the message of this song, once we see those two halves, aside from the fact that we're expressing gratitude and thanksgiving to God for both of these parts, is that our task has just begun, right? Any event that we express gratitude for isn't just a privilege, it's also a responsibility. It's about how the past shapes our future. Israel cannot remain passive recipients of God's kindnesses. Israel must regard themselves, having experienced God's salvation, as charged with responsibility for the future. And what we find in the second half is that Israel is not the bystander. Who's the bystander? The bystander in the second half are the other nation. What is Israel's role? Israel is an active participant in their own history, in their own events. Ad ya'avor amcha Hashem. Ad ya'avor amzu kanita. They themselves have to cross the Ardain. They have to become active participants in bringing about their own destiny. What is their destiny? Well, I'll just mention briefly that if you look at the uh, at the second part of the Shira, you're going to see that it's surrounded by two important words. One is the words or the, the, the expression Amzu, right? We have it at the beginning, right? And we have it in Pasuk Tedzayin. We have it in Yud Gimel and Tedzayin. Amzu Ga'alta. Amzu Kanita. And the other is the word Kodesh. Right? In Pasuk Yud Gimel, we have the words El Nevei Kodshecha. And in Pasuk Yud Zayin, at the very end, we have the words Mikdash Hashem Koninu Yadecha. So it seems pretty clear that the ultimate role of this nation is to become a sanctified nation. The final movement of Shirat Hayam is towards the Mikdash Hashem. 
It is towards the sanctity of God, or the sanctified place of God. What's interesting also is that at the end of the Shirah, he mentions at the beginning of the Shirah, that God is exalted and Pharaoh is cast into the depths of the sea. The Shirah concludes with Am Yisrael in a lofty position as well. Am Yisrael is at the top of the Har, right? Har Nachalat they're at the top of the mountain. They have followed God upward. The song begins in the depths of the sea. Am Yisrael has just exited that depths of the sea, but there's this upward movement as we move to the end of the song where we leave on Yisrael on this mountaintop sanctuary having followed God in this sort of upward trajectory. And so Shirayam is not really about the splitting of the sea, right? I think that that's you know, one uh, important conclusion. It's not merely about the exodus from Egypt. It is about constructing a kind of a role for Am Yisrael in an ideal relationship with God. This shira sets in motion the broad outline of Am Yisrael's role in history. The physical redemption of Am Yisrael, which obligates it to assume a leadership role in constructing a relationship with God and ultimately bringing the whole world to the end, the final conclusion of the Shira, which is, of course, Hashem Yimloch Leolam Va'ed, God will rule forever and ever. The proclamation of Hashem Yimloch Leolam Va'ed, especially on the backdrop of the notion, the very well-known Egyptian notion, that the Pharaoh, the human king, is all-powerful and supreme. That same Pharaoh that walked around saying, Mi Hashem, Asher Shema Bekolo, Lo Yadati Et Hashem. Who is the God that I should listen to him? I don't know that God. Well, Am Yisrael leaves that Pharaoh in the depths of the sea and turns forward to climb up to this mountaintop sanctuary from where they proclaim Hashem Yimloch Leolam Va'eh. This is a turning point in theological history. This is a moment where we initiate God's kingship, okay? This is the first time in the Tanakh where we have this idea of God as king. And of course, this idea becomes a very important part of biblical history. It becomes a very important part of many different uh, places in Tanakh. Of course, we say it a great deal in Tefillah, right? Right? I mean, the idea of God's kingship, this is a very basic notion, and it is one which Am Yisrael takes responsibility for as part of having emerged from Egypt, and that is ultimately the goal of Shiratayam. And so this song, Shiratayam, the national anthem of Israel, according to Ben Jacob, ultimately shapes one aspect of Am Yisrael's relationship with God. The relationship between divine king and loyal subject, whose ultimate role is to disseminate and proclaim God's kingship to the world at large. Okay, Adkan Shiratayam. Of course, there's always more to say, but we're going to turn our attention now to the second Shira, that is Shirat Azinu, the one that the Malvin calls the Shir Leumi, the national anthem. This is the one that appears at the end of our desert experience. Let's turn inside the Tanakh to Devarim Perik Lamedbet. We're going to do a sort of a, a, a brief overview. We're going to skip over some psukim just to get a sense of the movement of this song, of the, 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 the trajectory of the song. The song begins, well, it begins with edut, right, with witnessing, but the essence of the song begins with a problem, okay? God is perfect, and Am Yisrael are corrupt, treacherous. Okay, let's look in Pasuk Dalet. Hatsur tamim poalo, ki rachav mishpat, el emunav ein avel, tzadik v'yashar hu. God's ways are perfect. Everything about God is just. God is faithful. There's nothing crooked. 
He is righteous, and God is filled with integrity. Now, the next pasuk, pasuk hey, now focuses on Am Yisrael. Shichet lo, lo banav mumam. Dor ikesh uftal tov. This is a very hard pasuk to translate. I'm just going to offer a loose translation. Uh, I'm going to say something like, Shichet lo, they were perverse to him. Those tainted children who were not worthy of being called his children, something along those lines, right? those lines. A nation uh, or a generation that is twisted and perverse. Halashem tikmeluzot? Is this how you're repaying God? Am a boorish nation who is not wise. Halohu avicha, kanecha, hu asacha vayachoneneka. Right? This is the God who has created you. This is the God who has made you and established you. Okay, so we've established the problem. The problem is that God is righteous. God is good to us. God is, is, is just. And Am Yisrael is filled with betrayals. We didn't see anything like that in Shiratayam, right? Everything was good in Shiratayam. Everything was perfect. Where is this coming from? And what, what's the, what's the, the idea? What leads to this Mizmor? And of course, perhaps more explicitly, what has changed? Right? I mean, you know, the last time I saw Shira, I was, I was thrilled by it. it. It moved me. It uplifted me. And now I see this Shira, and it is crushing. Okay? So let's look at what happens. What goes on here in the continuation of the Shira is a brief history of God's kindnesses toward the nation. I'm going to skip ahead to Pasuk Yud, where we have something very interesting. Yim Midbar. God found them in the land of the desert. Uvitohu yilel yishimon. And in that empty, howling wasteland, yisovavenhu yivona nehu, right? He, he encircled him, and he either watched him, or he gave him wisdom. Yitzrenu kiishon eno. He guarded him like the pupil of his eye. Okay, this is God. What's interesting about this particular description is that, wait, God found them in the Midbar? That's not where God found them. God found them in Egypt, right? Why does he first meet them in the Midbar? That's a very, very important question. We're, I think we're going to answer the question, but I'll just mention that this is one of the Abarbanel's questions on the Shira. It's his sixth question. You know, the Abarbanel always starts out listing all his questions. And his sixth question is, why does it say that God found them in the Mibar? He found them in Egypt. Why, 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 does it, why does the puzzle say that? All right, let's go on. Let's see what else, how else God is described taking care of Am Yisrael here. Look in Pasuk Yud Aleph, the next Pasuk. Kinesher Yair Kino, as an eagle awakens his nest, Al Gozalav Yirachayf, he hovers over his young, Yifros Knafav, Yikachayu, he spreads out his wings and he takes him, Yisaehu Al Evrato, he bears him on his wings. Okay, so here we have this description of how God treats Am Yisrael like an eagle treats its young. Let's look in Pesach Yud Gimel. I'm just skipping around here so we get a sense of God's kindnesses. Yarkivehu al-Bamatei Aretz. He makes him ride on the high places of the land. Vayochal t'nuvot sadai. And he, that is Israel, eats the produce of the field. Vayinikehu devash misela. And he suckles him with honey from the rock. Vishemen mechalmish sur. And he gives him uh, oil from the crags of the stones. Okay, this is God feeding the people in the Midbar. Now this description, I think, is a very extreme description of God caring for his people in a desert where food is hard to come by, where they are utterly and completely dependent upon God. Now all of that seems nice and good until you get to Pasuk Tedvav. What happens with all of this nice food and all of this nurturing care? Pasuk Tedvav, Vayishman Yeshurun Vayivat. That shemen, right, that good oil that they were drinking from the flinty rocks, right, they become fat off of that oil and they rebel against God. They kick out shamanta, avita, kasita. You became fat, you became thick, you became covered over with fat. 
Ve'yitosh Eloha Asahu, and he neglected the God who made him. Ve'yinabel Tzur Yeshuatel, and he spurned the rock of his salvation. So what is this song really about? It's about ingratitude. It's the very opposite of Shirat Hayam. Shirat Hayam is about gratitude. Shirat Hazinu is about ingratitude. And what happens when God experiences this kind of rejection? Well, God becomes very angry. And that's the continuation of the Shira. That's the continuation of the song. You can see why I said that this is not a song we'd want to sing every day. Look in Pasuk Yotet. Look what God says. Vayar Hashem vayin God saw and he spurned mikas banav uvnotav from the anger that he had against his sons and his daughters. Vayomer and he said, astira fanai mehem. I will hide my face from them. Er acharitam. I will see what their end will be. Kidor tapuchotema. For there are tumultuous generation banim lo emunbam. They are children who do not have faithfulness. Okay? What is this song about? This song is about God's near annihilation of the people. The song is about ingratitude. It's about idolatry. We didn't see that inside, but that's the continuation of those psukim that we skipped. It's about treachery. This this song sketches, I think, a downward trajectory in the life of the nation, namely the disappointments and betrayal in the relationship between God and his people that takes place in the immediate aftermath of Shirat Hayam until the 40th year in the desert. This is the period of the desert, filled with sins, filled with betrayal, filled with lack of appreciation for God's nurturing care. And yet, before we go on, the continuation of this song, I think, is uh, it's, it's rather bewildering, it's rather sudden, at the precipitous moment in which God is about to destroy Am Yisrael, he makes a sudden turnaround and does not destroy them. Let's look in Pesach Kavav, which we did not yet read. Pesach Kavav, I think, is the, 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 the low point of the song, and we've had a few so far, but this is really the low point of the song. Look in verse 26. Amarti, it's still God speaking. Amarti says God, Ef af ehem ashpita me'anosh. Zichram. Afem is a very hard word to translate. I'm going to go with the Ibn Ezra. And he said, and I said, I will destroy them. I will wipe out from humanity any memory of them. Okay? They are on the, on the brink of being annihilated. And then what happens in Pesach of Zion? God decides not to destroy them. Look in Pesach of Zion. Lulekas Oyev Agor. Right, but I'm a little afraid of the response of the enemies. They're going to say that if I destroy the people, that God didn't do all of this. And so we have the slow but sure turnaround, where God comes back to his people, God destroys the enemy, he saves his people, and he has compassion on them. Look in Pasuk Lamed Vav. Ki yadin Hashem Amo. God will judge his people. The al avadav. I don't think it means judge here as much as vindicate his people. The al avadav yitnecham. And on his servants he will have compassion. Ki yirek yazlat yad ve'efes atzor ve'azuv. Because he sees that they're helpless. They have nothing to do. They have no recourse. And so God will have compassion on them. Now, what's interesting about this turnaround, there really is a turnaround in the in the Shira. It seems to be that we get almost to this um, to this precipice, right? They're hovering over the abyss of utter destruction, and God says, "All right, I won't." But but not not for the reasons that we usually expect. Not because of anything that the people do. What's missing from this Shira? And the 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 uh, uh, the Rambam acknowledges this, and the Ramban acknowledges this, and the Nitziv acknowledges this. I think I brought for you the Ramban here in source number five, who acknowledges this very explicitly. What is missing from Shirat Azinu is Chuba. 
is any sort of repentance on the part of the people. Nothing that the people do brings about the turnaround. The people of Israel have no positive role in Shirat Hazinu. This Shirat could not be more different than Shirat Hayam. Shirat Hayam is filled with gratitude. It's filled with the people recognizing that they have to assume a positive role in moving about the appropriate trajectory of biblical history. And Shirat Hazinu portrays a treacherous, ungrateful people who do nothing to fix their relationship with God. I think to properly understand this, we have to understand really why God changes his mind right in the middle of the song and decides to save the people. What he says in Pesach of Zion is, were it not for my fear of the taunts of the enemy, lest the enemy misrepresent the truth and think that God is powerless, I would destroy them. But because I am afraid of what these evil people will say, I'm going to save Am Yisrael. Have we had that idea before in Tanakh? Yeah, several times we've had that idea. We have it in Shmuel. We have it again in Bemidbar, in Chena Maraglin. We have it again in Devarim, right? We've had that idea before. But it's always Moshe saying it. Always. It's always Moshe saying to God, if you destroy the people, there's going to be a terrible Chil Hashem. It's a profanation of your name. The people won't believe in you. The world won't believe in you anymore. This is the first time that God says this himself. That he recognizes that his own name, his reputation is inextricably linked with that of his people. How do we understand? And it causes him to change his mind. And it's a good moment. I wouldn't call it a wonderful moment. I wouldn't call it an uplifting moment. But it's an important moment. It means that even when Am Yisrael doesn't do tshuva, God is still prepared to save them for the sake of his own name. How do we understand this? I think we can understand this better, and I think we can understand the whole shira better if we understand the nature of the relationship between God and Israel in shira tazinu. And I think perhaps some of you have already noticed this. It is not like the relationship that is created in Shirat Hayam, which is the relationship between a king and his loyal and awestruck subjects. That's not the relationship that's being presented throughout Shirat Hazinu. Rather, what we have throughout Shirat Hazinu is the relationship of the parent and the child from the very beginning of the Shira. What are Am Yisrael called? Banim, right? That is your parent. Think of all the images of God hovering over the people, caring for them, feeding them. Even the word, He suckled them with honey from the rock. We have descriptions over and over of God, the parent, and Am Yisrael, the children. If you look in Pasuk, uh, Yudchet, which is a puzzle that we did not read yet. It's the culmination of the description of Am Yisrael's betrayal of God. Look at what it says here. Sur Yiladcha Teshi. The rock that birthed you, you forgot. Vatishkach El Mechololeka. And you forgot the God that conceived you, right? These descriptions, these are descriptions of the way in which a parent brings a child into the world. I keep saying parent very deliberately. I think there are maternal images here. I think there are paternal images here. I don't think it's mother or father. I think it's parent-child. And of course, if you look in Pasuk, uh, um, if you look in Pasuk uh, Yudtet, right? God is angry at his sons as well as his daughters. I think this relationship is the key to understanding the Shira. It's place in the Torah, it's relationship with Shirat Hayam, and it's relationship with us as well. Shirat Hazinu is the culmination of the desert experience. It's the culmination of the relationship with God and his people that is cultivated, produced, shaped, constructed in the desert. Right? That that explains the Abarbanel's query, right? He says, what do you mean God found them in the desert? 
God didn't find them in the desert. He found them in Egypt. But God the parent was was cultivated in the desert. God the parent of Israel. That parental kind of relationship, which is based on nurturing Israel, on Israel's sense of utter dependence upon God, the way that God provides for Israel in the desert as a parent does a child, noting the child's helplessness, their utter dependence upon the parent for survival. The foundational story of Shirat Hayam is Yitziat Mitzrayim, is God who triumphs over the human king, establishing himself as a divine king. The foundational story of Shirat Ha'azinu is the Midbar, the 40 years of the Midbar. So that the, 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 the uh, Shirat Hayam describes the awe and the reverence that is due to the king, that is shaped by the stunning one-time event of Kriyat Yamsuf and all of the miracles of the Exodus, Shirat Hazinu is about the closeness and nurturing care cultivated in the desert. Now, to see this point, I think, a little bit better, um, I'm going to ask those of you who have a Tanakh and are willing to flip to look in Devarim Perichet. Devarim Perichet uh, describes, again, there, the desert experience. Let's start here in Pasuk Bet. <clears throat> Devarim Perichet, chapter 8, Pasuk Bet, verse 2. V'zechertat kol aderech asher olecha Hashem alokecha zerabim shalabam idbar. You have to remember, all of that journey that you made in the desert for those 40 years, leman anotcha, lenasotcha ladat et asher bilvavcha, hatishmor mitzvotav im lo. So that God would torment you in order to test you, would you obey him or not? Now this is a, a difficult thing. What does that mean, God torments them? The Rashbam says, the torment here is that they don't have food. They don't have food. They don't have pat bisilo, right? They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. It's the torment of being totally dependent on this amorphous being for their food. That's the experience of the Midbar. Let's just skip down here to Pasuk Hey. Viadata im, oh, I'm sorry, let's just continue for a moment in Pasuk Gimel. Vayancha, and he tormented you. Vayar ivecha. And he made you hungry. And then he gave you the man. That's the torment. The torment is, is that you were hungry every day until you saw that God gave you the man. That's the kind of relationship that God is trying to cultivate in the Mibar. And for what purpose? Look down in Pasuk. God, I'm going to paraphrase this one. God is trying to create a parent-child relationship. Every parent-child relationship starts with dependence. Dependence, which is meant to cultivate hakarat hatov. Now, the question that I'm not going to deal with so much, but one that I think is really uh, worthy of thinking about is whether or not the period in the desert, I'm sort of describing it as a very negative period, it culminates in Shirat Zinu, which is a song of Am Yisrael's treachery. But the question as to whether or not the desert experience is a positive experience for Am Yisrael or one that represents something that is very uh, problematic in the relationship between God and Am Yisrael is a very complex question. It's complex in terms of the way that it's presented in the Tanakh. It's also complex in the way that it's presented in the Midrashim. So I'm not going to get into that for the moment. I'm just going to say that the the desert experience defies easy definition, right? All of the passages are are very, very um, ambivalent, or I would say they see really both sides of the coin. Because on the one hand, of course, this is a period of total reliance on God. It's a period of familiarity. It's a period of closeness. It's a period in which God accompanies us with the Amud Ha'esh and the Anan, right? He accompanies us with this pillar of fire. It's a period in which we experience every day God's kindnesses, God's nurturing love. And in that sense, 
The period in the desert certainly represents some sort of ideal. On the other hand, as we've noted, between the repeated sins, the repeated betrayals, in that sense, it's a terrible period. It's a period that is marked by ingratitude. It's a period that is marked by betrayal of God. Now, I might even suggest that these two aspects, the negative and the positive, are linked by the nature of the relationship that we have just described. Familiarity of a parent or of any close relationship breeds, I would say, lack of awe, right? Over-familiarity, perhaps presumptuousness, perhaps taking things for granted, overconfidence, okay? So that the parent-child relationship often means that the guidance, the care, and the nurturing kindnesses are taken for granted by the child. And I'll just mention, not my children. My children very much uh, appreciate it. I had to say that. Shirat Azino, of course, uh, is born uh, from the ingratitude of the child who has just experienced this closeness to God uh, in the desert. And therefore, after the desert period, a new song is sung. A new form of communication, a new shira, a new type of tefillah becomes necessary. This song functions differently than the previous one. Instead of presenting an ideal in which Am Yisrael achieves this lofty goal of crowning God as the eternal king, this song contends with what happens when God is taken for granted. When every day is not Yitziat Mitzrayim, when there are not dramatic, miraculous events, when Israel, in her complacency and treachery, angers the same God who has carefully nurtured, fed, and taken care of his people. And this song promises that even in the moments of the most egregious betrayal on the part of his people, even when God is angriest, even when the connection between God and his people is threatened with total being totally uh, severed, God will not completely dissolve the connection. God may be so angry that he wishes to destroy them, but he will not. In the end, he will most certainly not to destroy them. Why? Not because of their merit, not because of their tshuva, not because they're assuming a leadership role among the nations, but because of the parental relationship between God and his people. Can a parent turn away a child? At the end of the day, we have many psukim in Tanakh which describe not just God as king, but also God as parent. We have a famous pasuk in Yeshayahu Memtet where Tzion laments, Azavani Hashem, God has forsaken me. Adonai Shechani, God has forgotten me. And God says, Hatishkach Isha Ula, Merachem Ben Bitna. Can a woman forget her child? Can she stop having compassion over the fruit of her womb? It is not possible. The answer, of course, is Haven Yakir Li Ephraim. In Yeled Shashuim Kimidei Dabribo Zachar Eskerenu Od Alkain Hamume Ailo Rachem Arachamenu Neum Hashem. The parental relationship, the maternal love, the Rachamim, which is based on the Rechem, the compassion, which is based on that aspect of bringing human beings into the world, that is part of our relationship with God. The parent-child relationship may not always cultivate the proper gratitude in the child that facilitates proper tefillah, but it creates an unbreakable bond. And I believe that this is precisely the point of Shirat Hazinu. Even without tshuva, even without gratitude, even without dependence, God's sympathies for his people will never cease. He will never actually destroy them. And yet, oddly, 
That's not exactly what God says, right? We're going to go back to what he actually says, right? When God makes that kind of sharp switch, God doesn't say, I'm not going to destroy them because I love them. I'm not going to destroy them because I'll have compassion. I don't know, he says it later about the compassion, or he seems to say it later. Right? But at that moment, what is it that God says? God says, I'm doing this for the sake of my reputation. Right? Pen yomru yadenu rama. Thank you. Right? Delo Hashem pa'al Right? He's doing it for the sake of his reputation. This idea, I believe, is also intrinsically connected to the parent-child relationship. In the end, it's not necessarily the love that will overcome God's anger. Rather, what God says in this song is that he feels that he has intertwined his own reputation, his own identity, his own sense of self with the nation, which is itself, I think, an extraordinary idea. Like a parent, God's essence his identity merges with that of the nation. And so we conclude our study of Shirat Azinu by noting that these two Shirot really are completely opposite. And they mark two completely different sorts of relationship between God and his nation. Shirat Hayam describes an ideal relationship, one that is based on a one-time dramatic event which ultimately evokes from the people enthusiasm, devotion, lofty goals. It is, however, a distant kind of relationship. It is a relationship that is uh, that is defined by awe, by reverence, by lack of closeness and familiarity. It is the relationship of a king with his servile and and awe-filled servants. Shirat Hazinu, I would say, describes a more realistic, realistic relationship between God and His people. One that is based on, on, on Israel's relationship with God during the humdrum daily existence. Not after the one-time dramatic events like the Six-Day War or the Kriyat Yamsuf. But how do we find God when every morning we wake up and we eat breakfast. Do we turn? Do we thank God? Do we recognize that this also is coming from God? And this produces a different sort of relationship with God. That acknowledgement that our daily existence is also dependent on God. It produces a relationship like that of parent and child, a relationship that is defined by love, by compassion, and by mutual identification. And so when we return to the Rambam, we ask ourselves, what should we daven every morning? Should we daven shirat hayam and mark the ideal lofty relationship between us and God, one that recognizes Hashem imloch leolam va'ed, or should we in fact daven shirat ha'azinu, a more realistic and perhaps not as lofty relationship with God, but one that is based on the recognition that our relationship with God is that of a child to a parent. I will say a couple things that I think you know we all sort of know latently or perhaps even consciously, and that is, of course, that tefillah is all about, certainly psuke de zimra, is all about God's malchut. Right? If, you, if you look at the word melech, from Baruch Shamar until Yishtabach, the word melech appears more than 40 times, right? It's a proclamation of God's kingship, but of course it appears as part of the brachot of Suke de Zimra. But tefillah also presents our intimate relationship with God, the parent-child one, avinu av harachaman hamerachem rachem aleinu. That's another aspect of our relationship with God. When the Rambam leaves open the question, of which shira to say. I think the Rambam seems to be leaving open the constant, shifting, fluctuating aspect of our relationship with God. Sometimes I may say one, sometimes I may say the other. But always, it is the interplay between these relationships that constitute the essence of Am Yisrael's relationship with God. And so, 
Perhaps it is best that we juxtapose these two very different songs and we turn to God both as a king and as a parent. Avinu Malkenu, im kevanim rachamenu kerachem av avanim, ve'im ka'avadim einenu lecha tuliot ad shetechonenu. We want God to constantly be interacting with us as both the parent and the king. Holding these two relationships in balance is ultimately what we are doing all the time. The first relationship, the relationship of the king, prevents love from becoming overly familiar to the point that we might betray God. But the second relationship prevents reverence from becoming overly distant to the point that we lose God. And so the two songs of the Torah offer two different modes of communicating with God designed to maintain Am Yisrael's commitment, loyalty, and relationship and ability to pray to God through both dramatic one-time events that foster loyal commitment and also through times of humdrum daily existence even if sometimes they foster our betrayals. And so we'll end perhaps by uh, noting that if we look back at the Rambam and we ask ourselves, what was the Rambam trying to say? I think he was really trying to leave it up to us and perhaps to encourage us to, even as we're singing Shirat Hayam every morning, to keep in mind the balance of Shirat Hayam and Shirat Hazinu. Thank you very much. <laughs>